If you would, uh, go ahead and turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 21. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. <clears throat> but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we just thank you so much for our time together, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for, um, Lord, just the places that you have us, Lord. We thank you for um, the way that you move in our lives, the way that uh, uh, we're able to feel your presence. Lord, we pray that you come down and, and, and dwell with us today uh, and, and the rest of our lives, Lord, that we would, uh, we would feel you, we would hear you, we would know you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Lord, I pray that as we, as we go through this, Lord, that you would speak through me. Lord, I pray that the message that you've laid on my heart, Lord, that, that it's conveyed in a manner that, that um, would be pleasing to you. Uh, Lord, we just want to glorify you with our lives. We love you. We praise you. Amen. So, um, <laughs> I guess in the uh, uh, um, style that we left it last time, this would be the part where I say previously on courtesan session. <laughs> if you remember when we left last time, uh, we talked about imagining that you were in a courtroom and the uh, accuser, the Satan, um, has just given his closing arguments as to why you deserve condemnation. And so uh, he reminded uh, Yahweh that um, we can't plead any kind of innocence or ignorance uh, because not only is the law written on our hearts, it's also evidence in creation. <clears throat> he also reminded us, uh, reminded Yahweh that uh, uh, we did not uphold the law, that we, uh, because we have been given the law and the prophets, um, is not uh, our justification, is not our righteousness, that that righteousness only comes through observing the law. And then finally, um, he used our own words against us. He quotes scripture um, where we are uh, revealing that we of ourselves know how um, wretched we are. And so that brings us to where we are. And you remember I told you guys that this uh, this entire sermon got sparked from the lyrics to uh, My Own Prison by Creed um, to tell you how fully it seemed to fit. The start of the second verse says, I hear a thunder in the distance, see a vision of a cross. 
I feel the pain that was given on that sad day of loss. A lion roars in the darkness, only he holds the key. A light to free me from my burden and grant me life eternally. So the, the lyrics just came to me, and I was like, man, this is, it fits this t- these two sections perfectly. And so here we are. And, and if, you, if you would, just, again, close your eyes and, and imagine that you're there in the courtroom, and you, you realize that the closing argument that has just been given leaves you utterly defenseless. And I just imagine falling to my knees and, and knowing that I, I have nothing to say. And so when Yahweh calls on me for my closing statements, I get choked up. I have nothing to say. No defense. Nothing that I can say at this point can bring me any kind of, uh, uh, of justification. I don't have it. And I, and I hear the gavel fall, and the judgment's passed, and the verdict is rendered, and we're guilty. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I hear the gavel fall, and I know that it's over. It's too late. I've been condemned. And then we have the biggest plot twist in the history of the world. The judge Yahweh steps down from his judgment throne. And he walks over, and he says, I'll take his place. So it's important that you understand that in this courtroom, we didn't have a defense. We didn't have somebody that came to our defense and said they're not so bad. We didn't have anybody that stepped up and, and proved that we were righteous. What we had is that the punishment that should have been on us was borne by someone else. And imagine, after, this, after, after the, the, the verdict is rendered and, and the... And the, and the the verdict is guilty, and the crime is being sentenced. Uh, we we have to we have to watch Jesus bear the punishment that we know should have been ours, and so we watch as he's uh, uh, he's beaten, uh, whips and lashes made of leather, uh, with pieces of broken glass and bone as he's beaten, and those bone and that glass rip skin and flesh off of his back as he's beaten in our place. We imagine having to stand by and see that a, a crown of thorns, not thorns like, like these you know, little thorn stickers that you might find, inch to two inch long thorns being shoved down on his head, thorns that are thick enough that they pierced his skull. Imagine having to watch that. In fact, Isaiah 52.14 tells us that his appearance was marred beyond human recognition. He's been beaten and flogged, and it's so bad that you can't even recognize that he's human anymore. And then imagine we have to watch him carry his cross, um, the, the, the beam that he had to carry, uh, seven to eight foot long, a foot wide, at least six inches thick, a hundred pounds or more that he has to carry all the way up to Golgotha. And this after being beaten, after having lost so much blood that he's likely uh, um, completely and utterly broken in fact, we see on the way up that he's not able to carry the cross the whole way. And understand, these paintings that we see of Jesus depict him almost as this kind of scrawny little dude. Um, Jesus was a carpenter. They didn't have DeWalt or Ryobi. Uh, Je- Jesus was a big dude. Um, and so you can just imagine watching, knowing that this was because of you. And then imagine he gets up to Golgotha and they lay him down on the cross and they take these nails, which not like nails like we think, more like railroad spikes that are three quarters of an inch thick 
six to eight inches long, and they nailed them, hammer them through his wrists. In Jewish culture, the wrists were considered part of the hand. So when you hear that it's through the hand, this is not where, it was, where, the, where the nails went through. It's through the wrist. He's standing there, and just imagine that every time that hammer hits that nail, you realize that that's because of you. It's because of your sinfulness. It's what you deserved. It's what you were supposed to receive, and he's taking it for you. And then imagine as the nails pierce through the wrists and through the feet, they, they bend his leg. You know, they've got his feet crossed to where the nail goes through both feet at the same time. He's bent at the knees so that there's so much pressure on his lungs that the only way he can get a breath as he's up on the cross is to push up on those nails with his feet to raise him up and free up his lungs to get a breath. But in doing that, he experiences excruciating pain in, in his feet. And so, and, and then just remember that it was your guilt that put him there. It was my guilt that put him there. And I know this is a, it's, it's a disturbing picture, and you might be asking why in the world would I feel the need to, to talk about this on a Sunday morning. Um, but this, so, this is the sobering reality of our sinfulness, and it should wake us up from the drunken stupor that we walk in, completely intoxicated by the desires of our flesh. This is what has been done for us. And, and imagine beyond just the physical beating Excuse me. Uh, the humiliation that happened. He was spit on. They pulled his beard out of uh, out of his face. He was mocked. The the Jewish leader said, "If you were going to destroy the temple in three days, can't you come down off that cross?" They put a sign up above his head that said, "Here lie or here's the here's the King of the Jews." And Jesus, knowing at any moment all he had to do was say so, and God would have rescued him. And we would have all been condemned to hell. But he went in our place. And just imagine the immensity of that. And we, we, we come back to that place where we realize, again, we're wicked. The sin that has lived inside of us ever since Eve took the bite out of the apple. And don't get self-righteous. You'd have eaten out of the apple too. You'd have done the same thing. So would I, Okay. Um, but ever since sin entered into the world, that sin has lived inside of us and has become so wicked that we are utterly incapable of doing what is right in God's eyes. But God loved us so much that he didn't, he didn't leave us. Romans here says that this is something that he'd been planning all along, that it had been made known by the law and the prophets. They testified that this was going to happen, and we were too blind to see it. Because we, we fill our heads with these things that we think are important. And, and, and that's where all of this self-righteousness, it's where it comes from, is because we make things into idols. We make our own image. We turn ourselves into God. We put ourselves, we seat ourselves on the throne that is only rightfully Yahweh's. It's not ours. And so the verse Romans 3.23 is extremely famous for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But praise God for Romans 3.24. Praise God that it didn't stop there and are justified freely by His grace 
through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It says in, in verse 26 that this was done so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So God in his infinite wisdom found a way to redeem us in spite of our rebellion from, from the moment of creation or, or shortly thereafter. We don't really know exactly how long has passed from, from the time God made Eve to the time that Eve sinned. There's no real indication in Scripture. But, but early on in human history, we've rebelled against God and we've rebelled against God again and again and again and again and again and again. And yet in his wisdom, he found a way to save us. In his love, he was willing to save us. And so, where's the boasting? Where can we as Christians get up on our soapboxes and boast? You know, you see the way that, that, that religion is used in politics, and it's, dis- it's disgusting. You see, you see the way that, like I, like I said when I was here two weeks ago, the way that people like the Westboro Baptist Church run around beating you know, I remember we worked at the, the bowling alley when we were first uh, dating, and there was a girl at the bowling alley that wasn't a believer, and she, she in, in a moment of, of candor, she, she asked Valerie, she said, you must really hate me, don't you, because of the way that I live, because she knew that Valerie was a Christian, and Valerie said, no, of course I don't hate you. But that's the image that, that, that the Christian church has become, and it's not, I was going to say the Christian church in America, but it's not, it's not specific to America. If you read you know, the Bible, you see that we've done nothing new. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. We've continued to repeat the mistakes of our past. And in here, as we've read through the beginning of Romans, we found that the same thing was happening. He said, because of you, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. The Gentiles at the time were the lost. Today, because of us, the name of God is blasphemed. And so I I bring this disturbing picture to you because I want you to really get the gravity of what was done for you. Imagine. Right there. When When you accept that, you realize how wicked you are. It was the biggest plot twist in history. And it's life-changing. And so, how do, we, how do we respond to that? Do we then say that we can, I mean, because there's, there's two extremes here, and I've experienced both of them. One extreme says that um, I, I need to uphold the law. I need to do everything because that's how I am going to get to heaven. I'm going to do all of these things. And, and, and we experience that legalism and we walk in this legalism where really, honestly, the cross didn't do anything. If legalism is true, then Jesus died for nothing. Do you understand that? If our way into heaven is by observing and upholding all of the commandments then Jesus died for nothing because we could have done that without Jesus' sacrifice, right? The problem is we couldn't, and that's not how you get to heaven. That's not how it works. Legalism is false doctrine, hands down, through and through. It is false. But then you can swing to the other end of the spectrum where you say, oh, 
Jesus died and he took my place so I can do whatever I want. Right here. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Romans 3.31. Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Everything I've talked to you guys about since I first came out here is understanding where we are, who, what our role is as Christians. We've been given a mission. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Right there, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that became our mission. When he went to the cross and three days later he was resurrected and, and death lost its power over us and we were redeemed and we had been bought by the blood of the Lamb Jesus became the perfect spotless lamb. He, he laid down his life for us. And his, his righteous life became such an atoning sacrifice that not only could it atone for the sins at the time, it atoned for sins in eternity past, and it atoned for all of the sins in eternity future. You understand that? Time stood still on the cross that day. It doesn't matter what you do today, what you'll do this afternoon, what you'll do tomorrow, what you did three years ago. All of those sins were the things that nailed him to the cross. And all of those sins died with him that day. And they went to the pit of hell with him. And he came back. And by faith in him and him alone, we can stand as a new creation. And we take that life that we've been blessed with and our mission is to continue His mission. To go out and seek and to save those that are lost, that don't see it, that don't understand, that are, that are, that are completely wandering, like I said earlier, drunken, walking around completely intoxicated by the desires of the flesh. It is our responsibility to go show them love and to wake them up to the reality that is eternity. It's our responsibility. That's how we respond. We love. We love. What I talked about in Corinthians the very first time I was out here, if we can speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not love, we're just a clanging symbol. If we as the church get together and we hang out and we have meals and we worship but we don't love our worship is disgusting. You understand that? There's a part in the Old Testament where God says, I don't want your festivals. I don't want your sacrifices. And Israel is like, well, what? You told us to do this. You, what do you mean you don't want these? And he says, it's because they've become a stench to me because your hearts are not right. You're out doing all of these things, putting on this big front, but you're not taking care of each other. Guys, we have a responsibility. Christianity is not about circling our wagons. It's not about this church. It's not about us. It's about taking the mission that Christ had and fulfilling it. Our focus is outward. When we get together, this should be training grounds. This should be a time where we get together and we share in the successes that we've had. We share when we've seen the, the, the opportunity to tell people the good news of the gospel. This should be a time where we get together and we encourage one another and we lift one another up in prayer and we take care of each other's needs. But the focus, guys, I've been praying for revival since I got here. I've been praying for a revival, not just amongst this church, but a revival in my own heart. And I hope that you'll continue to do that. But Community Baptist Church is not the point of the story. And it can never be the point of the story or Community Baptist Church will either cease to exist or it will become useless. 
if this is about this church, then you've got it wrong. This church exists to bring glory to the Father and to worship Jesus Christ. And so if you want to see revival in this community, this church's responsibility is to understand that it was us that put him on the cross. Get rid of the self-righteousness. Get rid of the, 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 the bitterness that exists between believers and non-believers. They're not our enemies. Our enemy was beaten. Scripture tells us that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. But the problem is that as a church, we're fighting the wrong person. We're fighting the non-believers. We get onto the political world and it's like this big battle over who's right and who's wrong. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Let them take whatever they want. Why does it matter? They cannot take our salvation. And whenever we get embroiled in these battles with them, we lose our opportunity to witness to them. Nobody wants to hear from somebody that for the last six years has been defaming them and, and fighting with them. They want to hear what you've got to say because you've spewed hatred. And I don't, I don't mean you guys, but you understand where I'm going with that. We have to change. All of us, we have to change. Christianity in America has to change. We have to really let the scriptures here sink into our hearts. When we do that, it changes who we are. The mirror becomes a little clearer. We begin to reflect the image of Jesus a little better when we stop trying to see ourselves in it. So, guys, I've enjoyed my time with you guys a tremendous amount. I've grown a tremendous amount just trying to put these together. This is not something I ever expected. This entire thing came out of a breakfast with one of my pastors. We met up for breakfast. I, he, he's the discipleship pastor at uh, Glen Meadows, but he's also right now the interim youth pastor because we don't have a youth pastor. And so he's working his tail off. And I said, what can I do to help you? And he said, man, I could use your help at a church in, uh, uh, in Dove Creek. They need a preacher. And I was on a rotation out there. I, I didn't go to seminary school. I just love Jesus. This all came out of a breakfast. This is not something I saw a year ago if you'd asked me if I'd be preaching. No, I didn't see this coming. Interestingly enough, though, I got a Facebook reminder a couple of, couple of weeks ago. Seven years ago, I posted on Facebook. I guess eight years ago now. Seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that. I posted on Facebook. You know, I think I'd enjoy being a preacher. And I was like, wow, how cool is that? How awesome of a God is it that I'd forgotten all about that? Seven, eight years later, here it is full circle, and I'm working with you guys, and God's using me. There's a phrase that I really like. It says that uh, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And if you'll open your heart and you'll open your mind and open your body to be used by the Father, I can't wait to hear about what this church accomplishes in this community. But that's what it's going to take. Humility. Understanding our place. Understanding that as a church body, we put Him on the cross. We're, we're, we're not the... We, don't, we, we, can't, we can't look out at the world and say, y'all put Him on the cross and... We're the ones he loves. Now, that's what the Jews were doing. That's what the Jews were doing with the law. They were looking out at the world and saying, God doesn't love y'all. He gave us the law. That's, that's, we can't repeat the same mistakes, guys. But if you'll accept that and you'll be humble and, and you'll accept the humility and you'll see that it was you that put him on the cross, it was me that put him on the cross, and then you'll focus on being used by God, we'll see a revival.
And I can't wait to hear from you guys about what happens in this community. And we're looking forward to coming back and visiting. We're certainly going to be back after Samuel's born, let you guys meet meet the baby. So, um, uh, you know, we love you guys. We've grown to love you guys a great deal. And I, I hope that I've added value. I, I hope that I've given you a perspective. Um, and I'm, I'm not preaching anything new. I think Paul wrote this a long time ago. It's not, I, don't, I didn't get this off of his Twitter account. So we're, it's nothing new. As, but I, I really hope that, um, that I've added value. So I love you guys.